This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. We're back with episode eight of Bucket Talk. This week, we are talking about addiction in the trades. Um, As you know, a lot of the previous episodes have been focused on really, you know, how to really rise up in the trades from the bottom to the top. And you're probably wondering why we're having an episode about this. And, And this is one of probably a couple different types of episodes. But we think it's really important, whether it's something you're going to encounter personally in the trades um, yourself, or you're, you're very likely to encounter it with coworkers or employees or subcontractors or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a topic that seems pretty rampant in the trades these days. And so we thought it was, it was uh, important to address. And so Jeremy brought someone here today. His name's John Barleycorn. I just met him for the first time, so I know very little about him. It's for anonymity. <laughs> for for am- anonymity. But, uh, but Jeremy, if, if you wouldn't mind kicking it off, tell us a little bit of, of how, how you met him and, and, and all that stuff. So me and, me and John are going on probably about 10 years of, uh, of friendship. John has an interesting story. Uh, we've talked, you know, my generation is dealing with the addiction and he's openly talked to me about, you know, how to deal with uh, employees, friends, um, anything along those lines that, that may be struggling and, and, and how to how to help, how to deal, how to, you know, just cope with today's um, society and, and their their affinity for addiction, as you will. So, uh, you know, John's a great guy, hard worker, the American dream, as he calls it, as I see it. And John, tell us, tell us what your story is. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Um, in a nutshell, Lost a college education, lost a lot of things in my life because of booze and drugs. Um, when I was younger, my parents forced me into a regular high school, and I wanted to be in a trade school. They always had this stigma around the trades and the type of people that were in it and what would happen to you if it went in there. Um, I ended up going on to a pretty prestigious university and being absolutely 100% completely lost. Went to detox my senior year in high school, and my family really didn't understand how deep addiction affected people and what it would actually do to you and what you would be willing to trade in order to drink and do drugs. Um, So I was very, very confused about the direction I was being forced into by two parents who grew up working class and wanted something better for their kid, and knowing what I wanted to do in my heart which made me comfortable. Never really felt like I fit in with mainstream white-collar society. And my second year at college, things really fell apart towards the end of the year. Uh, Ended up moving back home. You know, I got back into it, and my parents told me to get a job or get out. So there was this great big hulking ex-convict with a nose on the wrong side of his face (laughs) um, said, show up at Dunkin' Donuts at 6 a.m. tomorrow and I'll give you a job. And I said, okay, well, doing what? And he said, roofing. And I had absolutely no idea what roofing entailed. Um, I just knew that I was going to have a place to stay if I got a job. So went to Dunkin' Donuts the next morning, 
got in a pickup truck. I think I smoked a joint on the way there. Um, I was really anxious, really scared, had no idea what I was getting myself into. The guy driving the pickup truck had a big pot leaf tattooed on his forearm, and that pretty much told me everything I needed to know <laughs> um, about what was going to happen. And so the one guy that I was working with had no license. That's why I met him in AA. He was out on parole for selling crack. The other guy had a license. The guy with the pot leaf had the license, and he drove us around and dropped us off. And, um, you know, for about a year, tried to uh, keep it together. There's a couple other sober guys on the crew, which really helped. And, um, you know, I ended up hurting my back on that job after... Uh, relapsing and being drunk a few times and getting a few reprimands from the boss. I ended up hurting my back, had to go into landscaping uh, for a summer just to uh, do something. And that's when it really kind of took off. That's when the drinking really became daily, when I started seeing other people drinking on the jobs, started going to the Knights of Columbus or the VFW after work for a few um, bringing coolers of beer to the work, stuff like that, getting introduced to harder drugs. You know, I had done a little bit of other stuff at college, some extracurricular activities, as we call it, but um, took off from there. And uh, a couple of bosses that I had really didn't seem to mind. It was kind of accepted, um, kind of understood that, you know, at that state of alcoholism, you had to drink or you couldn't function. So here I am today, you know, 18 years on the other side of it, looking back and looking around, and I see it everywhere. I see it daily, I see it in employees, I see it in customers, um, but mostly I see it in the young kids in the trades branching out into things like Oxycontin, heroin, heavier drugs than we were ever really into. Um, Lost a lot of friends along the way. It's, um, it's a nasty, nasty disease, and I do believe it's a disease at this point, or at least it's a case of bad wiring. I don't think that many of us have a choice in it. I think we have a lot of other issues that go along with it, mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Um, a lot of these people have uh, abuse in the home. Nobody these days thinks, wow, I'm going to grow up and be an auto mechanic or a carpenter or, you know, a steel <laughs> rigger. Not at all. You know, you, you come out of a, of a pretty poor environment where alcoholism and drug addiction and physical and mental abuse are probably in the home. And uh, it's an easy way out. It's a quick buck. It's a way to make a living. Um, and a lot of the people that are in the trades tend to be on the rougher edges of society because it's a rough job that um, a lot of people don't want to do. And I, I mean, to add to that, I, I wanted to, when, when we, we came up with this, this title and, and the topic for, for this podcast, I had approached you about it and, you know, do you want to get behind it? And you said, absolutely. I mean... John, you have a story to tell, and, and it's not to, to boast. It's really to, to really help people in the trades and, and uh, try to find help or, you know, break the stigma or, you know, anything along those lines. Yeah, like I said, I got back into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, very similar to Narcotics Anonymous. 
it really is the one avenue that will work. I can remember days where I would wake up for, you know, a year on end and say, I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm not going to do it tonight. By 11 a.m., I was going for the liquor store or I had, you know, couldn't wait until I got out of work so that I could drink again and do it again. Um, some days it was because of the physical pain and exertion associated with the job, which a lot of people use it as an analgesic to help them get through the days. Our jobs are not always the easiest. A lot of times we're outside dealing with the weather. Sometimes we're up in the air. Sometimes we're underground, you know, and everybody wants to be us when it's sunny and <laughs> things are going great. Yeah, we're, you out know? The, we're out in the outdoors. But, you know, when your hands are scalded from burning motor oil or hydraulic fluid or right. you drop a tire on your foot, <laughs> you know, uh, most of us don't have the type of job where we can sit in a chair or even we can grab some light duty, especially not if you're self-employed. If you're self-employed and you got a couple of kids and you're under the eight ball with some bills, you got to keep it moving, you yeah. know. And um, one of the other things is I see a lot of guys get hurt on the job and they go get prescribed something and they end up abusing what they're prescribed or that sets something off in them and when the doctor takes it away, they go looking for another substance on the street. So thanks for sharing that story because that's like hard for a lot of people to talk about yeah. and go through. But what's interesting about your story is it's got a lot better ending to where you are today. And so we talk about guys getting into the trades and rising from the low man to the top. You've risen to the top, but actually from even, you know, you went through a problem where you, you would you say rock bottom and, and then you've actually gone almost 180 degrees. I mean, almost to be able to call himself the top five, top 1% of the trades. I mean, he's yeah. doing everything he wants to do, you know, uh, from, from owning a business to helping people out uh, who have problems like like he had growing up and still deal with to this day, but still being able to provide for your family, giving your family a, a you know, a nice life and, and everything they need. Sometimes it's not the most extravagant life, but it's a life that we can all consider the American dream. In AA, we call it a life second to none. Um, it's not always puppy dogs, care bears and roses. <laughs> yeah. Life still happens. Yeah. Rock bottom for me was uh, the, the gentleman I was working for loosely, it's a loose term there, um, <laughs> was away on vacation. And I believe I was living at my mother's house and she was away on vacation and I had all the booze and drugs I needed. I had about two days of work to do in a week and it just wasn't working anymore. You know, it really just, uh, I, I really either wanted to die or get better. And, yeah. I, and, you know, the only way to do that is I called the one person I knew who, by chance, was also in the trades and had been sober. And I said, you need to come over and help me. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing that I see people are afraid to do is actually reach out and ask for help when they have a problem. It's, as a man, it's very hard to admit uh, that you're afraid of what's going on. And, you know, the, the dynamic is just fear. But you don't want to be seen as less than a man in someone else's eyes it's it's America, you know. We we got Budweiser and Scotch everywhere. Who wants to be the guy that can't handle his booze? Right. Um, and the booze just wasn't working for me anymore. And um, I ended up talking to him. He came over. He got me into a detox. I had no health insurance, like a lot of people in the trades do at the times. So instead of going to you know Pax Prentice's place out on the West Coast in California, I went to Catholic Charities down in Brockton, where they take 
the prisoners when they're getting detoxed. And that was kind of, you know, a wake-up call for me of, they always say in AA, there's three places you go, jails, institutions, and death. And, um, you know, I had done a couple overnight stints, nothing serious, uh, and here I was in an institution. Yeah. You know, that didn't leave many other doors down the hall for me. Um, you know, and, and little by slow, things started to get better as soon as I put the substances down and I let people know that I was hurting and that I needed help and I needed a way out. From there, I instantly, you know, just started crushing it on the job site. I always say that I had a knack or a talent for it. Um, but I just kind of like took it to the next level. And, um, I had a pile of dough in my pocket that I wasn't spending on booze and drugs and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I just started, you know, I went out and bought a brand new truck with, you know, a thing looked like a pinball machine. It had stuff <laughs> all over it and diamond plate. And, um, I used to go to the store and I was buying, you know, new tools and better tools and, um, a lot of us, you know, day in, day out, we'd look pretty crappy, even if we got our act together, just by the nature of the business. But, um, you know, it didn't mean I needed to have holes all over my clothing. I started, you know, like to have two pairs of work boots was like a luxury in my life at that point. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. people started to take notice. And instead of just working for whoever was willing to put up with me or you know, deal with me. I had people reaching out to me, asking me if I could start doing this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, and people always ask me what the secret to my success was. And it's basically just work harder. There's a local guy that told me that, you know, you want more money, you want more things, work harder. And I did, you know, today I have a pretty decent client base. My main rule is I don't work for mean people, um, <laughs> you know, but um, my wife is also in the program, which is tough some days because two sickies don't make a welly, <laughs> but she's the absolute love of my life. And I think we were 100% meant to be together. I have two beautiful children that have never seen me drink or, you know, any of the stuff that goes along with it. I have some rental properties right now. What I found is that if you're willing to put down the drink and put in the effort, put down the drug and be honest with somebody else, they will go to the ends of the earth for you. Uh, yeah. I have probably a dozen people in my life right now that if I called them right now and said, I need a credit card and a vehicle, they wouldn't even think twice. They would just hand it over. 18 years ago, Nobody wanted me anywhere near their vehicle. In today's, in today's world, people of my generation and younger are, are really starting to talk about it. Pretty much everybody is affected by some sort of addiction. And I wanted to kind of talk about the different types of addiction. I know we're touching on drugs and alcohol, but, you know, John can tell us what addiction is and, you know, and how that, how that affects you. But there's, there's gambling, there's sex addiction. I mean, there's, there's so many different types of addiction out there from like your cigars saying. and steak tips, and, you know, <laughs> but you, I mean, even, even video games, Fortnite. I mean, you hear yeah, about, yeah. you hear about that. And, and you know, I'm not going to say that an addiction in itself is necessarily a bad thing or is it? Mr. Miyagi said, must have balance in all things, Daniel son. <laughs> um, I definitely have a snowboard addiction. Yeah. Big time. Um, I think that is a healthy addiction. If 
people in your life are affected by it negatively, it's probably time to take a look at it. And if you think you have to control something, it means it's already out of control. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Interesting. I was listening to a guy the other day who in his teens and 20s was talking about uh, he was addicted to drugs, the worst, you know, almost on the death's bed. And he says, and I would love to hear if, if there's any truth to this because he might have also been marketing it, which is he turned his addiction from the drugs, woke up one day and just made the decision and turned it into his what he was his job, basically, and became a machine, a machine just working nonstop. And so he still had the addictive personality, but his work now was his addiction. He didn't have time to really focus on the so drugs and the booze. Trading one addiction for another is that substituting. We call it in the program. We call it substituting. Um, I absolutely became a workaholic. A uh, big part of it was I was afraid to face society, reality. I substitute some nights with food, and I know exactly what I'm doing, and I know it's a bad behavior, but that's it's a safer feeling. alternative. Yeah, it's a much safer alternative. And the first step to getting over any of it is recognizing it as a problem and looking for the root cause of it. You know, they always say that drinking is just a symptom of the disease. Um, there's a spiritual loss of values that comes with it. There's a loss of morals. There's a loss of self-esteem. What's the underlying cause that makes you feel like you need something to change who you are or how you feel? Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's let's just talk to, to safety issues. I've tried to help people. I've, you know, people that haven't, I mean, when I started, I made an extra dollar an hour because I had a license. Yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of people that are coming off of bad stuff where they need that extra help. So like I said, if you're willing to put it down and do the effort, I'm willing to come pick you up, I'm willing to buy you lunch the first week, give you a little advance, as long as you're showing that you're trying. Then comes the people that are going to play you. I've seen it a whole bunch of times where they think, okay, I can get away with it. And you you know, you get a whiff of alcohol or this or that. And I've seen people hurt themselves really bad. I've seen people fall off ladders, fall yeah. off roofs, have things dropped on them. I've seen people cut live electrical lines. Um, I was just talking to a guy the other day and they said that, they were building a big building over there. They craned down a guy that OD'd at the top of the building. And then, you know, once we got down to the bottom, paramedics narcaned him and it was, you know, but that he could have put somebody at risk up top where he was at. Yeah. Now you got the crane operator and whoever's with him, you know, craning him down. I and mean, it's just not a good. I, I don't want to sound crass, but I really don't care what you do to yourself on your own time. But if you're going to be on my job site representing my company, you are a reflection of me to my customer. Mm. That's one. The other one is I don't want to get hurt because of you. And when you're actively using or drinking on the job site, you could hurt a lot of other people other than yourself. And that's where... I start to get upset with people and I start to tell people, look, I can't have you around anymore. I had one kid in particular who was looking for work, looking for work. We had an overnight gig. I called him up to see how he was doing. He didn't sound so good. I, I told him to put his father on the phone. And this is a kid that was a kid. He was a, he was a man. He was a 30 year old man and living at home. And I had to ask his father, has he been drinking? And his father kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. And 
I said, look, um, he represents a safety issue, not just to himself, but to me. And he kind of got that. And he said, yeah, he has been drinking. I said, well, you have to tell him he has to stay home. It sucked for me because I really needed that set of hands on an overnight gig, but um, you got to draw the line somewhere with it. You well, know? but and, that, and that's actually a good point. I do have a few good friends who ha have been battling addiction, but their, you know, their parents or their loved ones or whatever are also battling coping with it. So they, they enable sometimes. They, and, I, and I actually don't want to use enable because it sounds, I don't know, it sounds bad, but they're doing what any parent would do. They're actually blinded. They're lost in the, in the moment. And it takes somebody like John or an employer that's had enough to maybe set the ball in motion towards recovery. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, I, how many times have I heard um, the guy got locked up for DUI and all of a sudden, that's the that's the turning point. It may not be. It may be his fifth. Right, but right, right. And, and and maybe a, a moment of sobriety comes comes a glimmer of 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 hope towards recovery. People always think that in the trades, it's there's an acceptable level of use and abuse. Oh yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I, I have a lot of friends that go out for three or four martini lunches, and yeah. there's definitely alcoholism rampant through this whole country, not just the trades. Right. Um, the problem is they're going back and they're sitting down at a computer and they can hit the delete button. You know, they may not be able to remove an email. Not that this is acceptable business practice in <laughs> right. the white collar world, but, but yeah, you're right. Happens, How yeah. many times do you talk about, you yeah, know, I would have had a couple of martinis at lunch and that's okay. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> you know what? I also span that old school generation where it was acceptable. There was an acceptable level of drinking and usually marijuana use that as long as... Ride with a beer between your legs, plowing snow? Uh, yeah, pretty much. There were nights yeah, I'd go yeah. home owing own the Coke man more than I made. But there was an acceptable level of if you got in with the crew and you could handle your shit, you could do the work, be safe, get it done... People would look the other way if you were having a few pops during the day because it really wasn't that big of a deal. And so for some of the folks that are that are early getting into the trades, obviously your your job site you got to you run it clean because of your background, your experience, but other job sites you know you have the stereotypical maybe on a Thursday after work the guys go out and grab a beer or two. Where where does it start to go from healthy recreation to all of a sudden it's starting to slip to uh is it the lunchtime and well, is it so multiple days? I, per I think week this and goes back and this is this is uh from my point of view and he could speak to it from his point of view. It, it's down to wiring. I know guys that and girls that can drink every night and put it down and done. You know, no problem. But then I I know guys that that they can't. No matter what they do, they cannot do it. I mean. You, the guys, the guys and girls that quit cold turkey. I wonder if if they're just wired differently. That that they're they're out to have their fun until thirty or forty, and then all of a sudden responsibility hits, and they're like, "All right, I'm done." You know, you were kind of sloppy while you're carrying the baby or you raised your voice and they say, oh, geez, you know what? You're absolutely right. This is a problem. I need to cut this out. I need to, you know, take care of this right now. In AA, they teach me that I have 
a different physiology in that my first drink sets off a phenomenon of craving and I have a physical compulsion, a physical need, the way most people wake up and they think, oh, I should drink some water because that feeds my body. My body screams and calls and my brain screams and calls for booze, more booze, and follow it up with some booze. And if I lose a college education or I flip a vehicle over three times in Baxter State Park up in Maine or any in number, I lose a fiance or I lose a house or any of it, it doesn't matter. We just have a way of self-justification that either it wasn't our fault, if everybody would shut up and cooperate, things would work out fine, I can handle it, it's no big deal. You know, we've, we've all heard the, and seen the excuses from people in our lives, and I don't want to say that you should pity them, and I don't want to say that you should enable them, but there is, there's that big gray area of where do I step in and say something to someone versus just look the other way and and hope that it takes care of it. You can't tell anyone that they have a problem. If they are really an alcoholic or an addict, they're always the last ones to know they have a problem and they never want to hear it from anyone else. I had more people in my life tell me, it's the booze, kid. It's the booze. It's the booze. It's the booze. And I thought I had a girlfriend problem. I thought I had a truck problem. I thought I had a bank account problem. I thought I had every other problem under the sun. And it wasn't until, you know, I got to rock bottom that I thought maybe it's the booze because Mm -hmm. it's like defending your house against an invader. The first thing you're going to defend is that comfort, that ease, that one thing that means more to you than anything in the world. My biggest fear in the world was that they were going to make me stop drinking. Yep, yep. Well, that dovetails perfectly into our next point, which is getting help. So I I think that the the first step in getting help is realizing that you need to help yourself. Nobody can help you. Is, is, is that correct? Absolutely. I remember in particular one time I was working for a roofing company and I had fallen off a roof the day before and I had to get a ride home. The boss showed up at my house and was like, you have to do this, you have to do that. You know, this guy's trying to help you. And I, I said, I don't want that. I'm perfectly happy being totally miserable right now because... Unless you want it for yourself, it's not going to happen. I've been in restraints in hospitals. I've been in a couple of detoxes. I've been in, you know, behind prison cells. And it was always price of doing business, I guess. You know, it was the price of being allowed to to drink. Um, If you do need help, you can go to any emergency room in any hospital You're going to hit some red tape. They will help you, and they'll probably direct you to, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, which I can't say enough about. I've seen everyone from jail to Yale come through the doors and turn their lives around. I've seen people dump hundreds of thousands of dollars on therapists and doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. And they all end up getting funneled back into the same place. Like I said earlier, the first thing the court makes you do is go to an AA meeting. If if there was a pill that would allow me to drink like a normal person, I would crush that up and I would freebase it. (laughs) Pretty much. So for the folks out there listening, if if they're even questioning if they have, have an issue and want some help, it's on the extreme case, go right into the emergency room or 
looking up your local AA chapter and giving them a right. call and talking well, to someone about it. I will say that if you are drinking as heavily as I was, you can actually have a seizure, a heart attack, a stroke. There are lots of complicated medical issues that come with withdrawing from alcohol. When I was in detox my last time, I did actually have to be taken for an EKG because they thought I might stroke out. And then from there, it was, it was right into AA. And actually my first sponsor this time around was a union pipe fitter from South Boston. He kind of took me under his wing and showed me a lot of things about being a man that I never would have ever seen before. You know, to me, being a man was drinking all night and working all day and, um, you know, that whole tough guy persona and everything else. And, you know, here's this six foot four pipe fitter from Salty that, you know, could have crushed me under his thumb. And, you know, he talks to me about being a kind, loving, good human being and really kind of turned my world upside down and helped me, you know, change a lot of misconceptions and values that had been taught to me partially through my upbringing, but a lot of it was, you know, coming from being in the trades and being around that stuff. And I think a lot of us carry a badge on our shoulder of, um, this isn't what I do for a living. This is kind of who I am. And nobody can take this of all, you know, a lot of us come from places where we had a lot of things taken away from us. And our craft is something that nobody can take away from us. And so what was interesting before, before we started shooting this week is, you were mentioning if you have really any addiction, even if you call AA, and they may not be the right place for you, they're likely going to get you to the right place within, with, within reason. They all are derived from the original AA program. Um, AA uses what's called the big book. It's the big blue coaster that they give you when you walk through the door. You know, it's good to set your beer on for the first couple of months. Um, NA has a big blue book that just says Narcotics Anonymous. And chapter and verse, a lot of it is cut and paste because for whatever reason that medical science can't figure out, this 12-step program, which is a spiritual program, works yeah. when nothing else will. Say you're an employer and you haven't had any to battle any of these demons on your own and you have an employee or you're an employee and you have a coworker and you start to to think they may have an issue going on. How do you how would you handle something like that which is a really touchy, a really tricky, a really challenging could be a combative situation. Yeah, and if it gets out of hand, where do you draw the line from from helping genuinely morally helping somebody versus protecting your investment and, and you know, just, you know, cutting the cutting the cord. I would tell everyone to be totally 100% honest with the person with what you see going on, how that makes you feel, how you see it affecting your business, but be you know open-minded that these people may be going through some stuff that maybe they need help with and being willing to give them some help and give them a little leeway. You know, if you're in the union or you're in with a big outfit, they have all kinds of programs for you. And they're going to say, look, we're going to get you into this detox. We're going to get you in here. We're going to assign you a counselor and you're going to be on paid leave. And, you know, it's going to be great. They're going to give you a pair of slippers and a Johnny and some Thorazine, you know. <laughs> um, if you're in a smaller outfit, you know, myself, I'm a one-man show. I don't, I can't afford to, you know, send someone away for two weeks and keep paying them. But what I will do is I'll take them to a meeting, 
if they have to get themselves checked in, I'll try to give them whatever I can and say, you know, I'll give you a loan. Um, I'll cover you. You know, there is health insurance available if you choose to take it. You know, be willing to work with the person. But as Jeremy was getting to, there's that point when you've just got to say, yeah, I can't do this anymore. The key is if the person you're trying to help is if you give them the boat and they're willing to pick up the paddle, great. The minute they want to start, you start being their wet nurse or their banker or their chauffeur and you start getting more and more lines of BS, you know what you know. And, and it sounds like you were saying earlier, you draw the line, your big line that you draw in the sand is when it's a safety issue. where it's Safety issue is a huge thing and even bigger, just as big is when they want to stop doing the work. So if I'm going to a meeting and I'm offering that person a ride or I know that person has a vehicle and they start saying, well, you know, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. Well, I worked right beside you and then I went home and did two hours worth of paperwork and I'm still going. If they're not willing to meet you halfway, then they really don't want it. I was, you know, I was basically homeless living out of the back of my truck and, yep. um, you know, here I am uh, with you guys <laughs> you got a beautiful family. I got I got two rental beautiful properties. kids, rental properties, a business, you know. Um, like I said, I got a massive snowboarding and mountain biking addiction. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of cool stuff yeah. in my life. And it sounds like you're saving grace. The whole, the whole key to this, your complete 360 was reaching out for help when you called that friend. And that was the starting block of a lot of small wins that ended up to the, this just a year little run. bit of willingness to investigate that maybe it wasn't the rest of the world and maybe it was some of my behaviors. So for the listeners out there, this is obviously one of the probably the heavier episodes that we've shot. You know, we always say we, if we uh, help one person on the show, then we've done our job, even though we want to reach lots. I, I'd have to say I'm pretty confident, even just what Jeremy and I got out of this, that I'd be shocked if he didn't help at least one person dealing with some issues that are that's going to hear this or an employer or someone in the trades that's going to come across this and now they're going to kind of know how to handle that Absolutely. so we appreciate you coming here yeah. and uh, opening up and we'll probably have you on more episodes when it when it comes to yeah. something a little lighter <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys for listening any questions comments shoot them down below or you know feel free to shoot us a private message if you have any questions and and we'll work with john and try to get you guys either the answers or or the help or whatever you may need. John, we hope to have you back in the near future and we'll talk to you next week, guys.